The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Very active starting a business. It takes a lot of gumption. I really want to dig in deep, figure out what makes these people tick, how they are leveraging their success to make the rest of the world a better place. You know, maybe have a couple of giggles along the way. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Kilroy Report, the podcast that shares the stories of entrepreneurs and agency owners doing extraordinary things in an ordinary world. Now here's your host, Tim Kilroy. Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome to the Kilroy Report, where we talk about people building extraordinary businesses in an ordinary world. I have the real pleasure of having my friend uh, Ray McKenzie here from Zen Pilot. And Zen Pilot is this uh, kind of magical unicorn of company for agencies because they take the hard stuff that agencies have to manage, like process and accountability and sequence, and they help organize that inside of technology so that the human beings in those companies can be not more productive necessarily, but they can be more present because they don't have to worry about what to do next or what comes after that. And they can actually focus their brilliance on creating the right outcomes rather than figuring out the process. And for those of us who are gifted with, with ADHD, like this is a, like, this is magic. Like it is, it's wizardry. It honestly, like it seems impossible from the outside. How do you do that? Anyways, welcome, Gray. Thank you so much for being here. I want you to uh, tell us a little bit about you and about Zen Pilot. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, real quickly, like Zen Pilot, I think you can capture it in a nutshell there. It really is helping agencies and we're solely focused on digital marketing agencies. But helping them go from that state of internal chaos, like we hear so many different causes that people reach out to us, but at the end of the day, it all kind of boils down to chaos of one nature or another and take that chaos and replace it with clarity in the organization. So clarity for individual contributors in the day-to-day, what do I do? How do I do it? What needs to get done? What's important? What's not? And then clarity from a management perspective and a planning perspective. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of like Zen pilot itself. Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm an agency coach and clarity is a big, you know, it's a big part of what I do as well, though, though the clarity that, that I help my clients find is less about, you know, how you make sure that this thing is delivered on Tuesday. And it's much more about what is the thing that you should be delivering on Tuesday and to whom and why, and how much money can you make from that? But, but clarity is something that, that honestly is hard to come by especially in agencies that are growing really fast because they are so busy doing that they don't really have time to be thinking. And how does Zen Pilot sort of unpack that or repack it so that it makes sense? Yeah, I think, the, I mean, the huge overlap between what we do or the uh, kind of the complementarianism between what you do and what we do is there's like directional Is that a clarity. word, complementarianism? <laughs> it is a word. <laughs> it, it, that sounds like a political party. It, it probably will be here at some point in time. Just about anything can be a political party. So we'll, we'll probably get there. I, random side story. 
I was a local spelling bee champion way back early. So words come really nice. easy to me and spelling nice. comes easy to me. And I wound up losing a spelling bee to this incredibly gifted in eighth grade to go for a chance to go to the national spelling bee, the Scripps Howard national spelling bee in DC, losing the spelling bee on the word buteracious to an incredibly talented blind girl, a girl who wasn't able to see and she had to do all her studying in Braille. And it was just incredibly impressive the way that she could spell well, and, uh, and, and, uh, Buteracious is a word that I've never heard of. Now, and I was an English teacher, so I'm a big word guy. So yeah. buteracious, what does that mean? It's like a uh, buttery substance or cooking something in a, but- in a buttery substance. I had no idea what it meant at the time. Oh, okay. Saying, All right. Saying, uh, that's the word I lost on. So that will be forever etched in my memory. Sure. Yeah. And just don't want Dr. Pimple Popper because... <laughs> That's what she says. Very stuff true. Comes out of like, like butter. Yeah. Anyways, there's a fantastic digression, by the way. That was great. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's like the directional clarity, which is what you're going to give people. Yeah. And what's the focus that we take? What's the core value prop that we have? How do we go acquire those customers? How do we, you know, what are we delivering kind of at high level? And then there's the granular, like how do we execute and pull this all off? And so our background coming from running an agency, then running a project management software, myself, my business partner, Andrew, have kind of lived through all the iterations and, and phases of the chaos and craziness that comes along with agency life. And so, and have had to make those hard decisions around focus and like some of the directional stuff, but we're able to pair that and leave a lot of that kind of high level. What's the vision for the business, that kind of stuff yeah. to folks like you who are gifted in that area. And we're able to say, listen, we'll help you take the actual, like, how do we pull this all off? How do we make this happen in the day and coordinate, and coordinate clients? and pull it together. And so that's kind of the granular level of detail yeah. that we get into in terms of specializing in a single project management platform and helping folks kind of build out all their processes so it lives right where the work gets done. Right. And that platform is uh, is is ClickUp that you work in. And, uh, you know, at this moment in time, you know, ClickUp has just raised like $115 million or something ridiculous like that to the point where they are advertising on practically every bus in Boston, Cambridge. And it's just, it's it, it feels a little bit like the year 2000 to me, where you've got like ridiculous, where, where like companies are advertising in crazy places, but but yeah. apparently there must be an ROI on advertising on, on the MBTA buses for ClickUp. I don't know enough about that world to know, is that just the thing that you do when you're- When you have too you, much money? Hit, yeah, when you hit unicorn status, that, hey, we have to put this money somewhere, and this is what we were told, like, is this what happens? Or is that actually, you would assume at this point, there's enough ways to track stuff that there's actually- yeah. So yeah. So they definitely they they definitely they probably are measuring it through a Q rating, which is like unaided brand awareness. But so, I mean, though it's it's not so unusual, especially around Harvard and MIT, for for technology companies to be advertising right as a recruiting ploy. Well, yeah, as a recruiting, and also for uh, you know the the emerging entrepreneurs. They want to create a you know a brand alliance early on in their company journey. So it's not super unusual, but you know to see it's just it, it's still shocking when I see the seventy seven bus run down Massachusetts Avenue in Arlington, Massachusetts, to see a giant uh, ClickUp banner on its side, which is you know. There's that element of dissonance from so we ClickUp is a relatively young company. Uh, yeah. they're coming out of beta you know, in 2017, and so we've had a relationship with them since it was. A, a very small company. And at the time, you know, we were interfacing primarily directly with Zeb, who's the founder and CEO now. And, uh, and so to see that kind of the growth trajectory that they've had and you know, raising a $35 million series, a 2020, like middle of 2020, yeah. and then a hundred million dollars series B in December. 
Uh, does, does Zeb still take your phone calls? We do still connect from time okay. to time, right. which is cool. But yeah, he's not definitely not our primary contact at this point. Huh. Huh. Forgetting the little people. Go figure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So 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 if I'm an agency owner, how do I define where my chaos is? Yeah, I think that's a great that's probably a perfect starting point for the conversation is until you can identify what the root of the chaos is, it's obviously hard to solve it or solve it in the right sequence. Yes, impossible. And I think you would identify a lot of the root causes. My guess is we'd have probably the same place that we don't cover a lot of it, which is kind of the digital yes men mentality or the early stage of owning a business where whatever people will pay us for, if it's online or whatever your, yep. your realm is, like we'll take that on. And so every engagement looks different. You've got... Yeah, well, that, you know, that, is, that is the everyone needs to eat sales pitch. Yes. Right. That you take all customers, and that's and by the way, even though I espouse that people sort of find a focal market that doesn't need to be exclusive, but you do need to find a focal market because it gives your team the opportunity to get really good at something. You know, if you give them similar tasks, they actually get better and more efficient, and right. you and you increase your capacity without adding cost. Like that's super awesome, but often uh, what I, what I see is that. Process chaos comes from, it stems from like founder magic. You know, so, so many agencies are founded by people who are good at a thing and they have this process that they've internalized and while they explain it, they only explain it in a, in a way that requires extraordinary context and experience to be able to execute against. And so as they grow, their team actually has a really like grainy, unfocused version of what they want, what what they're being asked to do. Yeah. It's a combination of a couple of things too. I think what kind of lies under the surface there that you're getting at is you got someone who's very motivated to get good at a specific skill because they're trying to build a business around it. So there's a different layer of motivation than, Hey, I'm, I'm automatically getting a paycheck in my paycheck isn't that different whether I do a decent job or if I do an excellent job at this? Yep. I think not that's the, at the heart of the full motivation. There's a ton of tr- intrinsic motivation. That, that's a whole separate conversation for people, but it's someone who's highly motivated to get it done well and done right. And you also, as a founder, you've got almost an unlimited bucket of time to, to tackle that. So you can make, you sure. train yourself early on that I'll make a promise that I'll have this to you by Monday, Tim. And it doesn't matter if I'm up all weekend, like I'll get it to you by Monday. I'm motivated to make that happen. Right. And so if those are the habits that you build early on and then you start hiring people and you're building out your team, like those are no longer the habits that everyone on your team is going to be real thrilled about trying to follow up on. Right. So there's a lot there's of, a, there's a a big lot of it's just kind of, yeah, un, un, uncovering like what are the bad habits that we've trained ourselves. The things that made us successful early on are the same things that hold us back later down the road. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a dramatic difference between entrepreneurs and the people that work with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 okay. So, so we've got this, you know, let's be as kind as possible. Let's say, let's say there's a, like, there's a misalignment in expectations, right? Because founders will do anything, you know, they'll eat dirt, whatever, like they will do anything in order to get the job done because they are working towards their, the vision that they have assigned to their identity. Whereas employees are thinking, whew, is it 4.30 yet? Because it's Friday. Would like to, you know, would like to get to the, the liquor store before they're all out of Sam Summer Ale, right? You know, yep, that's yep. right. So, so how does process help there? So, I think the 
obviously we tack, kind of tackle the first bucket, which is the fewer services or the more tight that scope is in terms of right. what you're doing, the fewer moving parts there are to go wrong. And you know, the faster that you'll figure out anything, the more repetitions yeah. that you have at it, the better you'll get at it. But if we kind of leave that piece out of the picture, then it comes down to, you know, are we plan the first step is the planning phase. Obviously are we planning our projects appropriately. And so if you're planning it, with the mindset that I can make whatever promise I need to make in order to win the sale. And then we'll just find a way to deliver on it. That's like part of the chaos. So you need to be realistic. Sure. And that comes from kind of backwards analysis or having ideally your project management platform, you're keeping, that is the single source of truth where we're able right. to go back and find that meaningful data. As far as if we go back and look at the last 10 times that you onboarded a client, how long did that take realistically? And oh, that takes, you know, we're a Facebook ads agency and that takes us 12 days to get a campaign out, but we're promising everyone that your campaign's going live in six days. Then there's, you know, we're inherently creating problems. Sure. Absolutely. So ex expectation, so, so expectation setting or accurate expectation setting is, you know, is a, is the output of, of a well understood process. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously you transition right from there into what does it look like to actually manage the work and execute the work? And so there's got to be clarity into what's on people's plates. You know, how can we, there's going to be things that change and blockers that come up that you, you had a plan and now the plan shifted a little bit. Yeah. So there's visibility there. And then obviously on the back end, there's kind of the review. How do we review and improve for the next time? Yeah. And so, so here's something that, that project management, I know a project management plan and project management tools can in fact be enormously helpful with, but also they can be it's sort of the flip side. So if you have a management team that realizes that they've got to get all of this stuff out of their head and we've got to put a process together and it's awesome. And, you know, it's that process that makes the whole machine go. When that happens, many times the founder or the, the agency leader is so relieved to get that out of their head and not be responsible for it anymore. Instead of turning that into something that they manage, it becomes something that they abdicate. Right. They like, that's not mine anymore. Thank you. So, so, and obviously that happens more in, in earlier stage agencies and less as agencies scale, but in any agency where there is a high expert quotient, you know, you tend to have sort of an, an uneven distribution of context. And so how do you, and so when, when you are able to take or uh, sort of uh, enumerate process, either for an agency leader or for a division leader or whatever, how do you turn that process into something that can be managed rather than something to be run away from? Yeah. That's a great question. I, Cause we see that all the time. Thank you. I, you, I'm sure you see this all the time. Yes, in sales. Every day, all day. Right. It's the most common thing. I'm so happy. I don't have to be on sales calls and then you don't pay attention in three months. Right, and then you don't manage the sales team. Right. Exactly. And same thing happens on, on the client services side or that the delivery or operations side of things. There's a couple of key things that we found. One is just visibility into the process. So the more friction that we can take away in terms of giving you that layer of visibility into where things are at in the process and making the managing a little bit easier. So, so, so give me an example of yeah. what do you mean by visibility into the process? So if you've got, we can take whatever service line we want to, but you're in the Boston area. So we'll take inbound marketing as an example. Sure, that's got, Hometown HubSpot. Yeah. Right. A, a ton of, you know, a ton of blogs to produce for a client or whatever. And we've yeah. given someone else the responsibility to do that. 
So I want visibility into both where do all of those deliverables sit kind of at a high level in terms of what's their status, you know, how we worked on these, who we not worked on these. And also we've got on each one of those deliverables, you know, there's some individually owned subtasks or like, you know, some components that need to happen. Someone needs to write it. You've got an editor who needs to sure. proof it. You've got an account manager, someone who needs to get client approval. Someone's got to schedule it and promote it and, and do each of those things. So we need to have our process broken down logically and then assigned to the right people with the right timelines. And, you know, that's factored into their workload. And we've got some space in the, in the schedule for client approvals or issues or revisions that might come up as needed. And so there's got to be visibility into managing that as well. So we're not just looking at hey, what are, where the where do the deliverables sit, but as we're handing that off to a project manager or someone else internally to manage that workload, mm-hmm. that that we've got visibility to see, hey, are we actually getting the steps done to produce this stuff on time? And we're able to help them. Just like on the sales side, we're going to measure activities. You know, how many emails did you send? How many yeah. how many calls did you get on? Uh, we're kind of doing the same thing on the delivery side of the business. We're looking at, hey, what are the inputs here? What are the activities that you're taking? Because it's too late by the time we realize that we're late on four of our bullets right. across four. And, and so, and so, I assume like one of the one of the key things that you do is you sort of you build the right visibility for the right level, right? So the CEO needs different visibility into a project than, let's say, the you know the the, the content manager, right? So, so how do you, how do you, how do you determine who needs to be in touch with what like set of metrics or what set of, of circumstances? So that one kind of main roles in any agency that we work with, you get, what does the leadership team need to see? Yeah. And they largely care about where deliverables in any, you know, at any specific point in time and as, as an aggregate, if we look at where we spend our time as an agency or what client relationships are profitable or not profitable or what service lines are profitable or not profitable and, and relative profitability or team members. Yeah. I need to see that, that level of detail. You get someone who's managing uh, the team of what's happening and they need to be, you know, at the next layer down in terms of looking at the actual inputs and obviously individual contributors, they need to know what's on my plate, what's on other people's plate. How do I visualize that to know what I can ask someone else to help me with or or what I can't. Right. So, so there's a couple there's a couple of main roles and we kind of build based on the patterns that we see in agencies have pre-built views or dashboards and click up yeah. from, from a more technical perspective built for those individual roles. And then obviously there's a layer of customization for each agency. Yeah. There's going to be some things that they need to see a little bit different. But yeah, that's there's a couple there's like those three main individual contributor, kind of project manager, account manager type role and then like leadership level um, yeah. perspective. So, so I mean, marketers in general are kind of control freaks, right? And and certainly with sort of, I see this quite often with an agency founder who has built their their agency around a skill or set of skills that they have. There is the there's a high degree of anxiety about letting go of process and sort of looking at you know sort of look at looking at sort of proxy representations of where a process is rather than all of the data. And there's a lot of anxiety, like, you know, I have to keep all the customers happy. And so how does, and I'm, you know, asking very specifically, and this is very specifically, how do you help that person 
who in many ways is probably the solo decision maker around whether or not you get hired. So there's a couple couple different pieces here. One is I think that anytime that we're working with an agency kind of on a higher tier engagement, we put their entire team through a team survey. I'm going to work my way back to what you have. One of our questions, and most of it is quantitative. We're looking at, you know, rank how highly you'd agree with a statement on a scale of one to five. Uh-huh. We'll aggregate that. And then obviously we're able to see that across hundreds of agencies data. And so yep. we're looking at both what's the actual raw scores that you have on these items, but also internally between the team, what's your spread or your standard deviation. Yep. So how a lot, you know, if you've got someone who's a one and someone who's a five on the same item, like they're sure. having totally different experiences living at the same kind. Uh, right. So, uh, so what I'm hearing so far is like, you guys are super nerds. We, yeah, that's the, that's, right, the, that's the easy translation. Yeah. So the the point of that is the score right now that has the lowest gross uh, value across the board is we have a system for measuring client feedback and can spot issues before they pop up. So almost yeah. all agencies on a scale of one to five across hundreds of agencies now, average score on that's about a 2.4. So almost no agencies would even like marginally agree with that. Yeah. So, so that's like brutal and eye opening. Right. So that, and that's also one of the scores that has the highest alignment across agencies too. There's very few people who think that we're at five, you know, we've got a lot of ones and threes and twos and occasionally the four, but almost nobody thinks that at our agency, we're excellent at this. So that's one of the first problems to fix or one of the problems to fix for agencies is what's your system for actually measuring accurately what yeah. clients, you know, what, what's going on. And you've got two different components to that. Obviously you still have just like any marketing activity. You've got, what are we doing? And then what are the results that come from it? You get the same thing. You need your internal team's input. Like, what are we doing? Are we delivering? Are we hitting stuff on time? Is there yeah. any issues that we spot? But also you need kind of brutal feedback from the client in terms of realistically, whether you use NPS right. or CSAT or something else, depending on the type of agency, what's that feedback mechanism. So once you have that, that often will give people a layer of with so without any type, I guess the flip side of saying this is without any of that infrastructure in place, why would you trust? You don't have any feedback. There, there's nothing coming back to you outside of your own sure. internal need for uh, control that gives you any feedback on whether we're doing actually doing a good job or not doing a good job. And so that feeds into that tendency to kind of be a control freak. Absolutely. So to overcome, that's one of the first things to put in place is what's the system for client feedback. Yeah. And then internally, how do we, what do we care about? What are we measuring? And some of this comes down to just training the team. Like, what are we going to agree on matters and yeah. what doesn't matter. Right. And not, not everything can't matter because everything matters. Like nothing matters. So there's got to be specific things that, oh, that was, that was, we're that was pick and, and then here's our rules of engagement. We're going to agree on this stuff. Here's the way that we're going to operate and then move forward from there. And there's a training process and you know, a lot of yeah. bumps and bruises along the way, but Okay. To so, oversimplify things. No, that's great. So, so basically, you know, to sort of wrap that up neatly, the first step in anything is sort of getting a multi-sided accurate view of current state, right? And then we have internal and external agreements on the things that matter. And then we create, uh, we create agreements on the inputs to those things that matter. And those are in, and that's what we measure, right? Okay. Yep. Now, here's a question that's very similar to the abdicate question, but so I spend thousands of dollars with you and you create this gorgeous, beautiful system that does everything that I need. And then my management team tells me that 
nobody is doing it or they're not doing it right or we're not getting the most out of this and as you know as you know most agencies are owned by you know only one or two people when you hear that as an agency leader you're thinking you're wasting my money like i could have another week on nantucket for the amount of money that you were wasting right and so and so how do you help teams stay engaged with the process without with without the management having to do a bunch of finger wagging and demoralizing their team can we go a little bit granular here Absolutely. So the way that we break down work inside ClickUp and the same way to plot, like our methodology, there's a bunch of different ways that people will try and, and tackle stuff. But our methodology, we have a lot of agencies who come to us and say, I don't have any visibility into our resources or resource allocation or workload management. Mm-hmm. And I specifically need to know like what do people have on their plate? How much time is yeah. booked out over the next week or specific days? And you look at the way that their tasks management is set up right now, or their project management, and there's a whole bunch of tasks some of them have assignees, some of them don't. Some of them have due dates, some of them don't. Some of them have estimated amounts of time, and some of them don't. Yeah. It's like, well, without a holistic picture of the agency, what people have on their plate, what's planned, how much time does it take, who's assigned to it, and what days that do on, how are you supposed to generate any type of, like, I don't know how to show you that chart if there's no input. Like, it's only as good as what the input is. Right. So that's kind of the starting point for us is, Hey, we have these rules. And then, so how does that break? It breaks if people are adding in tasks and not adding those things, or if you let 80 tasks build up as overdue and now they're not accurately forecasted out for when we could realistically do them. You can't do overdue stuff in the past, unfortunately. So anytime that we're working with an agency and we didn't do this when we started pulling teams into ClickUp a couple of years ago, and this is a major mistake. We trained people on the expectations. We got the systems design piece, right? We trained people on the expectations. And then we didn't name one person internally and say, hey, you're doing the daily ClickUp spot check. You're doing the weekly roundup and providing that report yeah. to the agency owner. You're doing the monthly analysis and giving us feedback on profitability and these specific factors. You're doing the quarterly review. None of those habits were in place, and every system's either going to improve over time or degrade over time. Sure. And so we learned pretty quickly after hearing that feedback from agencies. You know, we'd have some agencies, you go back and talk to them a quarter later. Hey, is there anything you want to jump into another project with? Anything that you guys are struggling with? And some are like, nope, it's going great. And other people were like, well, we're really struggling to actually use this. And none of those things that we built are that helpful. Yeah. Like this this is the Salesforce problem. Right. Yeah. So like like 78% of Salesforce installations, like they use them as an address book. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy. So I, and that to me is just nuts. And yet we made the exact same mistake after being in the space. And you'd think we'd, we'd be better. think that, I mean, it's just overlooking, you know, thinking that might come natural. So now, what we do to address it and whatever agency should do, regardless of what the project management system is or whatever the system is, it doesn't really matter, but there's got to be a clear expectations laid out. So the team has to be trained on, here's what the expectations are. Here's our rules of engagement that you're, that's just part of working at whatever the agency name is. This is the way that we work. And if that's not for you, then you know we're not for you. We're not for each other. Yeah. They have to be trained on that. So they need to know, hey, when you say I don't have overdue tasks, but then I've got a day where I have 12 hours worth of stuff and I can't get it all done. What do I, what am I supposed to do? Do I just move due dates? And if right. I do that, do I have to leave comp? You know, like what, there's very specific rules that need to be followed for when those situations come up because those situations will come up or I'm out sick. I can't get to it. Like, what do I do? Can I just bump those all? And then how does that impact other people? So training them on that. And then internally, there's going to be one person who is the champion internally and they are monitoring it in something as, as critical as project management. There's a daily spot check 
that's mm-hmm. happening to go try and catch the issues that are happening, correct those habits. And so we call it building healthy habits, but just helping the entire org. Everyone's got to build those healthy right. habits or else the whole thing starts to starts to fall down. And there's just no easy way around it. Like it, I think in people's minds coming to us, it's like, oh, we'll install the software. It's going to fix everything. It's like the software's it's definitely part of the problem. But the larger part of the problem is, do you have strong processes? Are you tackling the right problems? And then is right. you know, a human behavior issue? Is everyone trained to do the same thing? And do we have a kind right. of building in place? Right. And human behavior issues are the number one thing to be managed in any organization. Yeah. All right. So thank you for that. That, that was, that's, that's great. So, so that, that brings to, to, to mind two things. Number one, obviously I'm a big fan of RACI. And so that's that, and that's responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. And that's sort of what you're doing. You're defining an accountable person for multiple points, uh, multiple outputs of the software, right? That's crucial. So Gay, good. Big, big fan of that. So, but here's a second, here's a second thing. So many agencies, as they're growing really fast, and especially if they have, if they're newer leaders, they are very confused between task management and mission management. And so they really think that their job is to make sure that their team accomplishes the task, but there is no set of task descriptions and tracking mechanisms that can ensure that in every circumstances, accomplished tasks result in the thing that you have promised. Yeah. So how do you, and in my experience, that is a cultural issue more than a, that like, that is a, an issue where often the task manager CEO has not given their team or they don't understand the, the concepts of decentralized leadership so that people can make the right decisions once they have done all of their tasks or followed all of their processes, you know, then they have to have autonomy to make additional decisions to make sure that the minimum expectation is not too far away from the actual expectation. How do you help? How do you help with that? How do you help around the cultural issues between what we want to get done and what the process says we do? So I think you've got two different components to this. You've got like a layer down. So if I'm giving somebody a task, I think we're everyone's familiar with this situation where like there is a process for how we do this task, but it's in the old days, like that's on a binder on a shelf somewhere that never gets opened. And so nobody follows the process when the new version of that is it lives in Google Docs and we never go back to go reference it or go find it. Well, the new, no, the newer version lives in Notion. Well, that is the newer, okay. the newer version is it's in Notion. <laughs> so you've got your, the, our, one of the big things that we preach over and was a big unlock for us, kind of the, at the heart of the software that we built prior to what we're doing now was your process needs to live where the work gets done. So inside your project management, the process is there. Yeah, that's, that's at a granular level. So yep. if you say, I need you to write this blog post, Tim, now I've got, hey, when we internally are writing a blog post, here's the 10-step process that we're going through for yeah. how that happens. What you're missing in that is you don't have the context of like, what do I need about the actual blog post that happens? So a layer up from writing the blog post, there's all this context about the actual deliverable itself where did the idea for this come from? Who's the thought leader who we're getting the information from? What are the, you know, what's the outcome that we're trying to solve for? Who's the audience here that we need to be creating for? 
So if we're missing all of that, we can follow the step-by-step process and we still don't have like missing either, either one of those. You could have all that context and not know how to actually do it. And now you've got a blog post when Tim writes it, it's 1500 words. It's super high quality. It's three to five sentence paragraphs. It's, you know, one certain tone of voice. And then right. Ray writes it, it's all bullet points and it's 500 words and it's like two totally different outcomes from it. So you, you need both sides of that. But that's what we're, that's, I guess, the way that we teach agency owners to do that or agency teams to do that is build the repeatable processes at the areas where there are decision trees. Um, in certain service lines, there's more decision tree stuff yeah. than necessary, you know, like content, a blog post, they were pretty much writing it the same way. Yeah. If you're managing paid ads, we may have to do three new creatives or 10 new creatives this month. We may have to do zero if the ads are performing great and we already have backup copy and creative in place. So there are certain things where there are more decision trees than other areas, but that should kind of be outlined in the process. And then we need to train them on how do we give that next layer of context up and how do we efficiently plan to give people a layer of context on those specific deliverables or campaigns that need to happen. Right. And uh, to go back to our very first point, context is clarity. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, this is something that I regularly reference with my clients, but uh, have you read uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink? I haven't. I've listened to the Blinkist on it, but. Oh, so, so by the way, like the, (laughs) you should listen to the audio book because the Jocko and his, and Leif, the guys who were the, uh, they like have the voices that are. I've heard a ton of interviews, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but in this concept of decentralized leadership, you know, if you're like in battle, you get like all of these individual units and they have to know what they're doing and because they, they know how to do stuff. Right. Right. So that it's not about it's not about telling them how to do anything, but you're telling them what they need to do. So what they need to accomplish. But additionally, they understand what everyone else needs to accomplish. They don't need to know how they are doing those things, but they do need to understand the outcomes that are desirable because at some point you're going to have to make a decision like, oh, for whatever reason, this team hasn't been able to get the desired outcome. What does that mean for me? How do I compensate? How do we compensate? How do I make the right decision? And I think this sort of idea of context that you brought up is super important because unless you understand where you were going and what the landscape looks like when you get there, it's really hard to be able to sort of prepare adequately for the trip. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That what you're saying too really ties back into the first one of the first things that we talked about, which is the the scope of the focus. So in our situation at Zen Pilot, we're only working with agencies. We're only focused on the operational side of the business. We're only working with ClickUp. So the variance between those different contexts is not that, you know, this agency needs to sync up their tasks to QuickBooks. This one needs to do it to zero. Like that we can, there's some context changes and people will have different priorities coming in. You know, this team's primarily contractor based. This team's all full-time employees and the same, you know, there's pieces that are different, but because the problem set that we see is so similar time after time, we're looking better and better. There's less context that needs to be given versus if you're a classic five-person agency who's trying to promote yourself as being a full-service agency and we're touching whatever comes in and doing anything, it is so hard to give that efficiently communicate and convey that context to people. So there's yeah. certainly you need to have a system for doing it efficiently. Right. And then you also need to look at the bigger picture and say, there's this whole messy middle for agencies where you've got like custom, totally custom solutions for premium clients and that should be priced at one side. And then the other side of the market is, 
the productized services sold at productized prices. Yeah. And the messy middle is when you're doing uh, productized prices, but Wait. custom work. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, by the way, I just want to point out, you did say, so the five person agency that's represented them as a full service agency. People don't do that. Yeah, it's not going to work. Like you just can't do it. Like you could be five incredible people, but you can't be full service with five people. It's too much. You right. will fail. Like focus a little bit. You can add other services later. Promise. You really can. And people love it when you do. But if you're full service right up front, you're going to get crushed and it's going to be bad and you're not going to feel good about yourself. That's from Uncle Tim. Just listen to me. Okay. All right. So, so, so we just have a couple minutes left here and I would love since, you know, hopefully it's just agency owners listening here, but I would love to understand. So how does an agency owner think, wow, like, I know that this is messy right now. And like, I'm working Google sheets as hard as I can, and it's not getting a whole lot better. And like, how do I know that it's time to, to, to go to zenpilot.com and say, Gray, please rescue me. Yeah. So I think the, those pain points are commonly around, we get people in a couple of different, at a couple of different phases in the process, folks who are trying to hire and realize I can't hire because though you know, they're in the catch 22 where I'm too busy. I need to hire somebody. I can't hire because I don't have time to onboard somebody. And the barrier to onboarding is the fact that nothing's currently documented. Nothing's written down. I don't have any pre-built assets I can give them to onboard effectively. I need to handhold them through the entire process. And that's going to take too much time to go do. So that's one. And that's an earlier stage agency by far. You know, like that's the problems that you're running into is your, you know, the first couple of people up to maybe five or six or seven people on the other side of the coin when you get to the point where there's enough work here, I, I think there's some hidden benefits that people don't really realize until the back end, which is we've never thought about project management being a place where it's producing data that's actually an asset for the business as far yeah. as being able to see, hey, how do I make better decisions about where we go? Or we're we're familiar with kind of the financials of running a business and maybe, you know, I should be spending ten to fifteen percent of my budget on growth and forty, forty five percent on services and 10, 15% on overhead. And if I can do that gets me to a, you know, 30% EBITDA, which is an awesome agency to run. Yeah. And then kind of lost in that is, well, where does our time actually go? You know, like what are the time allocation perspectives at various areas? So there's some benefits like that are kind of hidden backend benefits to having the project management side. But the front end stuff is the, the common theme is always like balls are either balls are getting dropped yeah. Or it's incredibly stressful, but we're not dropping balls right now. But obviously this won't scale as we continue to go. What's even better is when balls are being dropped and it's incredibly stressful. <laughs> Both of those together. That's most get, commonly the case. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so, so, let me, so, so, you know, this sort of, this sort of uh, makes me think, so, uh, you know, I typically work with agencies when they're at inflection points. And so the inflection points are, are typically when I work with earlier stage agencies, when the founder runs out of daylight, like when they're instead, and so they've got to turn themselves from a founder with helpers to an agency, right? That's sort of, that's one inflection point, which process management is huge there. And then the second inflection point is generally speaking, when there is the emergence of middle management, 
So there's a layer between the CEO and the, you know, the lowest person in the company, the newest person in the company, because that's, that creates an incredible, that creates an incredible amount of complexity and also almost universally generates a ton of CEO anxiety because they suddenly feel blind and they're wandering around the, in, in the desert lost and I'm afraid they're going to, they're going to get killed. And then the third time that this happens is when the company that you are running is bigger than any company you've ever been in because you don't have any mental model of how it works. And those like those three inflection points are, you know, like so emotionally challenging, but they're, you know, informationally and, and process challenges that, that act as filters, honestly, you know, if, if you don't solve them, you never get past that stage. Right. I think that's a great observation in terms of the different uh, inflection points that you hit as you go. Like all, all three of those are, I mean, it's like playing a video game. Like you got to figure gotta out level up. Yeah, yeah. What, whatever it is. To take you got to have step. the boss battle and get to the next level. Uh, you mm-hmm. can use those by the way. Like they, I, 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 I have TM'd all those, but uh, you know, you're welcome. Like we <laughs> can work out a licensing agreement. It's fine. It's fine. Perfect. Great. All right. So guys, I've got to run. Thank you so much, Gray McKenzie from Zen Pilot for being here. Zenpilot.com. I do know you can get like a free click up onboarding doodad because I just downloaded it yesterday. And my head of operations who uses Airtable said, why would you look at ClickUp? But anyways, that's beside the point. But so I'm like, uh, this is such a great, such a great service for agency owners. And the way that we actually met, we have a shared client and that client just raves about not only the sort of the, the operational visibility that they have, but also about the stress reduction that everybody on the team has because there's more clarity and more context. So everybody's more confident. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah, so Tim, this is... You should smile. That's good. <laughs> that's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. It's great. Like, they love you. And so and so. thank you so much for being here. And we'll see you the next time on the Kilroy Report. Hey, it's Tim. Thanks for tuning into the Kilroy Report. Your support means a lot. If you liked this episode, hated this episode, whatever, please leave your feedback at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you do that sort of thing. And if you're one of the brilliant people who love this, think about subscribing. It'll do you good. 